politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots yearning to be free once again to the one and only Sierra podcast. Daniel Horowitz, your truth teller host back in the house here for Tuesday, February 23rd. And there is a lot on my mind, a lot on my agenda today. But I will tell you, folks, you can make a difference. You always can make a difference. That's why I need you to sign up for conaction.network to join our state liberty teams. We are going to talk about today your ability to make a difference. Activism. It's not a four-letter word. It's a lot longer than that. But too many of us have viewed that as a dirty word. We refuse to get our hands dirty. But we got to do that. I always say this. You have a town council in a town where 90% of people are conservative. It will be the 10% that will show up. We got to show up. We got to get our side of the story on the issues of our time out there. We have to push our expert witnesses in county and state hearings on issues. It's very important. And it's just got very personal for me, too, in a way that really ticks me off. So I'm going to talk about some stuff I've been dealing with, um, COVID stuff, COVID fascism, some crime stuff if we have time. There's a lot going on here, but we have to get active. That is the key. And we are really teetering at the cusp. I will tell you, I am sorry I did not get this off the ground a couple months ago so we could have put these strike force teams in place, especially in these smaller red states where we're teetering 50-50, whether they'll be free or whether they're going to go along with maybe a, a, a smaller version of the tyranny we're seeing in the blue states. But it all depends on what we do. I'm not saying the activism works all the time, just like you don't win every ball game, but you certainly don't win a single ball game if you don't have a team on the field. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bambi, your personal HR assistant. Look, a lot of you guys in this audience are small business owners. You have been crushed with all sorts of regulations, shutdowns on top of every other requirement you have that government makes it almost impossible that you don't either work for government or a large corporation. Among the big problems are wrongful termination suits, all your labor regulations. OSHA is actually one of them, which we ignore. You need an HR manager. But again, I mean, sometimes if you're really, you know, you have three, four people, it's, it's hard to hire an HR manager for 70,000 bucks a year. What if I told you I could get you a $70,000 HR manager for just $99 a month, so about $1,200 a year. That is Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. Um, basically, they craft your HR policy. They maintain all your compliance, and it's not like you're calling into some empty hole where you get some call bank and an Indian answers the phone and you can't even understand them. You get the same person attached to your business. Um, it's a you know who's available by phone, email, or real chat in real real time. 
Um, from onboarding to termination, every stage of your HR, they got you covered month to month, no hidden fees. You could cancel anytime. It's a flat rate. Um, Bambi could give you a free HR audit today just to try them out. So again, go to Bambi.com slash conservative right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash conservative. Now, folks, one of the reasons I'm a little bit disjointed today and I'm a little bit shaken up because this has hit home, this whole COVID fascism with a family member, extended family. One of the things we've been talking about is how our reaction to the virus has saved not a single life. There has been not one benefit to it. And there has been an enormous civilization collapse covering every aspect of liberty, economy, physical health, mental health, behavioral development of children, you name it. We will only begin to imagine the cascading effects in the future. But one thing I haven't spoken about enough is that the response has also killed more people from the virus itself. And this is very important. Not just with the liberal use of ventilators, and that's certainly an issue. More broadly speaking, what we always talk about from D.A. Henderson, the great epidemiologist from Johns Hopkins, who actually posited the idea of a lockdown last decade and noted that a society has to be intact and mobile and functioning and healthy in order to combat an epidemic. But one of the things the government is doing in order to ensure that you are completely powerless, that you're a vassal of the state, is that you must fear the virus. And in order to fear the virus, they had to commit genocide. Not just lock down your lives and do all the things that don't work, but the few things that God has given us to actually deal with this virus prophylactics, and certain treatments, they don't make available, they don't publicize, and people are left sitting ducks. Shut up, mask up, lock down, don't get the virus. Uh, whoops. By some estimates, 120, 130 million people have gotten the virus in the country. What do you mean don't get it? Everyone's going to get it. Or is going to be prone to it. Maybe you know they'll have inherent immunity and it will bounce off of them. But but they'll they'll be exposed to it no matter what. What do I do if I get it? And the answer is nothing. Most people, their PCP will do nothing for them. And if they're one of the people that either are vulnerable or for whatever reason they get a rough go around, they have to wait till they have trouble breathing and they go to the hospital. And it's basically remdesivir at three thousand dollars a pop for Gilead, which doesn't work so much so that the European um, Union wanted to sue Gilead because the WHO came out with a study that doesn't work. And you're, you're left to chance. There are protocols out there, certainly early on, but even later on by now, remember this is the most studied virus we have ever had, the most research on it, and in so many of these hospitals, they're death traps. Remdesivir or ventilator, nothing else. Now, let me ask you something. How many 
VIPs have died from this virus. We know about a third of the country has gotten it, so it includes a lot of them. How many VIPs have died? Very few. Very few. It's not that they haven't gotten it. It's not that elderly, more sicker VIPs haven't gotten it. We all know they have other stuff other than rendezivir. There's obviously ivermectin, which certainly is best taken earlier on, but it does have efficacy even later to a certain extent. And there's other stuff. And I, I feel I haven't covered that enough. Government has purposely shielded people from this information, so they're helpless. Don't get it. Well, what do you mean don't get it? So my brother's father-in-law, I think he's 76 or something like that, he doesn't really have conditions, and, you know, he was fine. He was locked down for a full year. He lives in New York City, locked down for a full year. Never saw his grandkids, I don't believe. Missed an entire year of his life. And he got nothing for it but fighting for his life with COVID. Never, never went anywhere. He got COVID because you get it. Now what do you do? Well, I saw this coming a mile away, but I was busy. You know, it was extended family. I almost felt like calling my brother back saying like, you know, because this is just when he tested positive. Okay, you, know, you better get him ivermectin. You better get him someone who knows what they're doing. And lo and behold, they brought him to one of those death trap New York hospitals that's stuck on ventilators and remdesivir. And they have nothing for him but that. I'm trying to get help for him. This is sick. And remember, most people in a place like New York City have low vitamin D levels to begin with. I, I can't say this for sure, but I don't even know if he knew to be taking supplements. You could imagine someone locked down for a year, what happens to their immune system, what happens to their vitamin D levels. So inevitably, when you do get the virus, you get it from a position of weakness, and government refuses to inform people of fortifying yourself with zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C and some other natural supplements, as well as hydroxy early on and ivermectin, certainly even after you're diagnosed with it. And then there's all the later stage VIP treatments like the president got that worked wonders, but you're stuck in these hospitals where you can't even get access to it. For the trillions of dollars that we've spent upending society, subsidizing everything known to man, we won't treat the problem. And this is liberalism at its core. Let Muslims into your country in the millions and then treat everyone like animals at an airport. They treat everything except for the issue. Except for the issue. Um, wear a mask. Uh, have cages in school with plexiglass. And they do every a vaccine. Everything except for treatment of the damn thing itself for the people who need it. I don't even know where you get ivermectin. Doctors have trouble getting it. I was just reminded of this because I was dealing a lot with state legislatures. I was talking with state legislators all over the country just trying to push my you know, legislation and ideas in different places, different states. And, and 
you know, we're dealing with masks, and I'm actually sending Tammy and Kristen, our two PPE experts trained with OSHA, to just educate these Republicans on the masks. They just don't know anything about it. And here we are, the thing that has affected mankind more than anything else. And these legislatures, a year into this, aren't even holding hearings. Dude, what works? What doesn't work? What's the data? What's not the data? What should we be making available? The reason they're not doing that is because that empowers self-governance. And they don't want that. They don't want people to take their own health into their own hands. We've done the opposite of what public health should be. Public health is not about shaming and tyranny and control. It's about informing and, and, and empowering people. Here's what works. You know, and... um. Take take uh, take advantage of it. When I heard the hospital, he was at my heart sunk. And then when I heard, I said, what are they treating with him? And he said, remdesivir. I was like, oh no. Oh my God, even the Europeans realized that was a scam. In the Dominican Republic, they are sending out uh, uh, just little packets of all the vitamins and hydroxy and ivermectin for people to use early and often. They don't have a problem. Western democracies, first world countries are worse off than third world countries because of this. We have gone back to the dark ages because we worship Malok. We worship an idolatry that is more backward than anything. Like, you know, when when I started as a kid learning, you know, Judaism and the Bible and everything, and, and, and you read about the paganism and idolatry and Abraham, who was the first one to fight it. You're like, how could they have believed in idols? Like, what does that mean? Like, the more it didn't work, the more it didn't work. And then, like, you see throughout the prophet era stories in the Bible of them deep down knowing it didn't work, but they still adhere to it. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, they will worship mass to the pit of hell, but then they'll look you in the eye and say, their mass doesn't work if you're not wearing it. It's so weak. It was like what Elijah told the prophets of Baal. Hey, where's your God? I mean, or Elisha, when Ahab was coming to him, he's like, hey, why are you complaining to me? Pray to your Baal. He's going to save you, right? Why are you coming to me? Your stuff works, right? We have not progressed. They call, these bastards call themselves progressive. They have not progressed one bit they are as unscientific bunch of Neanderthals as they were 5,000 years ago. Worse. 10 months of research and they're literally holding by nothing but remdesivir and the ventilators. But for their VIPs, like everything in this two-tier justice system in this country, they have the stuff that does work. And it ain't wearing a mask, I'll tell you that much. But I hear this again and again. These people that lost a year of their life due to lockdown. They won't go anywhere without a mask the few places they go. And they get it because of course you're going to get it. Now what do you do? Shut up. Go to the hospital and wear a mask as you're gasping for air. And your relatives can't see you. This is the biggest crime against humanity. These vermin maggots from the pit of hell want people to die so they could say, look, look how serious it is. 
And therefore, we need to continue destroying your life with things that don't work at the expense of things that do work for a fraction of the cost and don't take away people's lifestyle and tyranny. Truly disgusting. So I just wanted to get that out of my system. Really, really bothers me. But this is what we need to push in the state legislatures. So I've seen this firsthand. Why we need these strike force liberty teams. North Dakota last night. Good news, but bad news at the same time. They passed a very important bill that needs to be replicated everywhere. And the beauty is, you know how every bill nowadays is like 2,000 pages? It was a half a page long. And very simply stated, so they allowed, you know, Governor Burgum, who is an ally of uh, Bill Gates, under pressure, he allowed the statewide mass mandate to lapse. But, you know, like always, you have a lot of the cities are still imposing it at a local level. And even in the best areas, name me a place where kids could go to school without a mask. It's almost non-existent. So this bill bars all local officials, and that would include school boards or county officials, from forcing people to wear a mask, from denying service, from denying entry, denying employment, denying education. This is the bill, HB 1323. Representatives Jeff Hoverson and Jeffrey Magrum introduced in the House. The Senate bill is introduced by Senator Oli Larson. Terrific guy. I talked to him last night. Now, Republicans had to have an 80 to 14 majority, and that got eaten up. They lost 30 Republicans, including the majority leader, who is the most powerful guy, not the speaker in, in uh, North Dakota, 50 to 44. And they were actually surprised. The committee that it was on gave a recommendation, do not pass. That's what they do in North Dakota. They give it a recommendation, do not pass 9 to 5 in committee. But when it got out to the floor, I was told that they got hundreds of emails and that's a lot for a state like North Dakota. And it mattered. And they, and, they, and they got it passed. You cannot imagine how much a group of 15 people could do in a state like North Dakota. If you are from North Dakota, we have some people signed up. We're cr- going to create a team. Go to conaction.network. We'll get you squared away in the coming weeks. They're on break now, or they're going to break where the House passed their bills. And the Senate, you know, is... is uh, working on their bills after break. So we have about three to four weeks until this comes up in committee in the Senate. The Republicans have a 40 to 9 majority in the Senate. But again, 40 to 7, I'm sorry, 40 to 7. But again, that's almost 5 to 1. <laughs> but again, they lost a lot of people in the House. Senate's even more liberal. That That's going to need help. We're teetering 50-50. This is what we need our focus on. You get freedom, you get this bill passed, you're going to have freedom for the most part in North Dakota. And this is what we need to mimic elsewhere. And, you know, one of the things I've always been told is that North Dakota just doesn't have activism in its blood. It's not a state where we've really, you know, had, just not part of the culture. So the political class runs it by unanimous consent without anyone objecting. The good news is you get a small amount of people 
getting active. It's not like a state like Florida or Texas or something. You get a couple of people, you could do a lot. So we're making progress there. But, you know, I've spoken to some members from from there, from Oklahoma. Um, I spoke to a member from New Hampshire yesterday, and I know she's a listener to this show and reached out to me. And I want to share with you some observations I have and some, some things we need to do, best practices in state legislatures. And it, it, it's a big problem, and it also speaks to this one-way street I keep talking about, how we can't play their, by their rules and be so principled that we're unprincipled and lose every time. You have to do what works, and you can't get dogmatic about certain abstract old ways of doing things that don't apply anymore. So there's an interesting thing that's happening, and this is one of the many ways they use our old traditions and state constitutions against us that were designed to foster limited government they used to prevent us from fighting for limited government, and that's this. State legislatures have a number of limitations on them that really make it very hard to legislate. And it see and it winds up ceding a lot of power to the executive. Now, you might think, well, why would states have done that in the state constitutions? That's insane. The reason is because once upon a time, there was one branch that made laws that legislated people's lives. And not surprisingly, it might come as a shock, it was called the legislature, okay? So you start off being in locomotion as a human being, as a society, you're 100% free and there's no government rules. Now we all agree you need a certain degree of government because you actually wind up getting more tyranny through the anarchy of having no government. So you need to cede some degree Civil society seeds some degree with a social compact created through some sort of social contract, and you create a government of, by, and for the people through Republican representation. And you seed some of it. So what, what they did in the state constitutions was, well, we're, we're right now we're free. We're scared one day government will take it too far. Well, who's going to take it too far? The ones that make laws. So they put a bunch of limitations, ironically, only on the legislature. But what has ensued in recent years is a dynamic where it's the courts and the Department of Health, for example, and other departments, that pass laws. The legislature doesn't legislate. The Department of Health legislates. And the courts legislate. So over the last generation or two, we've had a bloodless revolution where now we have 100% tyranny because, of course, constitution and law and natural law don't apply to those branches and to the left and their agenda. So now we're, we're left with the fact we need the legislature to, to, to create a bunch of laws to fight back. That's our only representation of people that are accountable to the people. Now they're using all those limitations against us. So, ha, ha, ha. You can't go back in session unless the governor calls you back. So what gives me the creeps is in a place like North Dakota, they're biannual. They only meet not just, just for the spring and like late winter and spring, but even then it's only every other year. Once they're gone, they're gone for 20 months. Now, they do have a bill that... um. Passed the House, I think, with and it does have support from leadership. 
that will basically force the governor to bring the legislature back in after 30 days of an emergency. And if he doesn't do it, the default is the emergency is terminated. So I like that. That's the version we need in all the states, not the other ones where the onus is on the legislature to get rid of it, meaning the default is it's there unless they get rid of it. No, the default is, hey, you know, you either call them back in or if you don't, it's gone. But that's only for that. What about other things we want the legislature to do? Nullifying Biden's orders. We're pushing that bill in North Dakota as well. But even if that bill passes the Senate and it's somehow signed by that rhino governor, well, what happens if they're not in session? I mean, I have to see if the bill makes an allowance for that and calls them back in, but this is a problem. So one of the things we need to work on in the legislatures is is making it, you guys signed up for this for, for a reason. You need the ability to easily get back in session at any time. I don't want to hear this nonsense. Oh, we're, we're part-time legislators. Oh, we're limited government. Dude, we don't have limited government. We have North Korea. We need a revolution. An armed one at that. So short of that, the next best thing is to at least use the legislature. So no, they need to be in session. Because we need to build support for these ideas. Then there's another limitation I didn't even know about. I'm learning more every day. I know both in North Dakota and New Hampshire, and I have to assume it's in a lot of states, they can't even introduce a bill. Like, you know, in Congress, like, you have all these virtue signaling bills. You could introduce a bill at any time. Most of the time, it doesn't go anywhere. They can't even introduce a bill, not just off-season, but even while the legislature is in session, they often get two to three weeks. It's like a window, and then when that window passes, you can no longer introduce legislation. That needs to change. You know, there's a crazy um, dynamic in North Dakota. I don't know how it came about. The The agencies, like the Department of Health, could literally introduce leg- legislation. I'm not kidding you. So while legislators can introduce legislation outside that window, the Department of Health can. Now, what that means is basically they could introduce a bill and – when now it doesn't force them back in session, but when they get in session, they have to have an up or down vote on it. That's got to change. Now, one good thing I do like about North Dakota that I learned is that it's so typically what leadership does is they take a good bill and they bottle up in committee and then it never sees the light of day and people don't know about it. You don't have a dramatic floor vote and floor debate, and that's how they shield themselves from conservative voters. In North Dakota, even if they vote down a bill in committee, it automatically gets a floor vote. Now, the problem is there's a very limited period where you could introduce a bill. But this is our opportunity to force votes because I'll tell you, they were shocked that this bill passed, the mask bill, that it passed. So I'm trying to get Tammy and Kristen down there for next month to testify before the Senate committee and and give a speech to the GOP caucus. And I'm trying to get them to as many states as I can. This is another idea I have. And look, we need to get doctors who are experts on on protocols, treatments, early stage, late stage. This is what states need to spend money on, not the garbage room Desivir, where they just line the pockets of Gilead for nothing. These are all very important issues. We got to get active. That's my biggest message. And um, look, it makes a difference. We, we have a listener from Arizona who has uh, been a big help to me. He's trying to help on the on the back end of our website. And he was very proud of himself that, you know, he was very squeamish and scared to talk in public. And it was, it was a virtual 
city hall, hall or you know town hall meeting, of course. And it's it's in a red district, red congressional district at least. And he said, look, all the people there that showed up um, pushing this left wing like anti discrimination thing, they were they were from the left. But he did get 15 guys to join on. And they got on the map. And it's going to be tough. You're going to be outnumbered. But the more you do it, the more you're going to make an impact. So so kudos to him, Todd, for, for organizing that. And I think this is what we have to do. It's in our hands. We have about, I think, 750 or so, 800 people signed up so far across the country. Some states we have as many as, as you know, 70, 80 people. Some states we only have four or five, six people. But but that there's something you can do with that, and, and we're going to grow. You know, in the state of Idaho, do you know Governor Brad Chicken Little? You know what he said? It's a myth that the emergency declaration somehow infringes upon your rights. That He's literally looking people in the eye and telling them that. Shut up. Mind your own business. We're not doing anything to you. The governor of Idaho. Now, I will tell you, I'm just going to give you a heads up. The lieutenant governor, Janice McGeechin, she is terrific. She's openly challenging his edicts and holding rallies against lockdown. She needs to run for governor. Watch out for that. That might be one of our top people to focus on. But folks, this is what we need. Conservatives don't like to get their hands dirty, but it's time they do that. What what, what is striking is, again, again, the lack of confidence that these people have in their views in all these legislatures. You could literally have four to one, five to one Republican majorities, three to one Republican majorities in some of these states. And... I'm talking about the ones that aren't bought out, just total whores. But they're just weak. There's a handful that are like us, and those are the ones I'm trying to identify and get into contact with because I want to help them. They could help us feeding us with intel and bit and legislation that we could push. You put them together with some of these liberty groups, and you could really do a lot. But these other people, they don't understand the issue. They don't know anything. You'd be shocked at how little they know about the virus really about any issue. They just don't believe. You know, a lot of people are talking about, um, what do you call it? Merrick Garland's testimony is confirmation hearing at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing yesterday. And I think everyone saw in broad daylight this is a guy that was viewed as a moderate. And and like National Review would publish these things and this guy is really, you know, if Biden keeps it up, it will be a great presidency. He's, uh, you know, reaching out to conservatives. And this guy got up there and literally looked, you know, Senator Hawley and, and, um, and Tom Cotton in the eyes and was like, hey, you know, a man being, uh, men and women is a tough Men, men and female sports is a tough issue. I don't know if illegal aliens crossing the border is a crime. And he looked them in the eyes and said, all Trump supporters are, are uh, terrorists 
insurrection. They're going to focus on it. And then when he was asked, what about Antifa? No, because they don't do it. At, they only do it at night. So it's not terrorism. It's not terrorism. This guy, and I, I warned you about it. The moderates, the technocrats, are sadistic, subhuman, maggot bastards from the pits of hell. Every Democrat, every one of them, they believe what I was struck by by this hearing. So those of you who are with me for a while remember this. My heart sunk this time of year, four years ago, when Trump's nominees were going through confirmation hearings. And they were apologetic. And they were, you know, they were so weak, they agreed to every premise of the left. Yes, yes, Obamacare, pre-existing conditions. Yes, I remember Tom Price's HHS hearing. You know, all of them agreed to the premise. Here they have a 50-50, very tenuous Senate, very tenuous control of Democrats. And this guy who was billed as a moderate comes in, doesn't cede an inch. Very open. Compares what Trump supporters are doing to Oklahoma City. No problem. Does it move an inch? Why don't we have that in states where Republicans control the legislative process? That's something to consider. And by the way, Merrick Garland was considered one of the more moderate Democrat appointees on the courts. Now I think you have a glimpse into what is sitting on those benches and why the courts are the way they are and why so long as we accede to the premise of judicial supremacism, our goose is cooked. Our goose is cooked. Now I want to get to... um. Another point here, just again on the need to push this. One of the better states in general is Montana, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But again, this is really teetering. So they have the good bill barring localities from enforcing a mask mandate. It passed the House. They only lost one Republican. But as you well know, there was a bill to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. Okay? And they held a committee hearing. They held a committee hearing. And basically, there was this Republican, Braxton Mitchell. He introduced um, the resolution. This was his bill. I just don't want to go into the future where political violence becomes the norm, and I hope as a country we can start moving away from political violence on both sides. And basically, the bill was originally co-sponsored by 53 Republicans. 53. I believe there are 67 Republicans in that chamber, so that's most of them. 31 Republicans asked to have their names removed after backlash from Montana Democrats. This is from the post-millennial um, Andy Knows outlet. He obviously covers them very well. Antifa. You could play videos in committee. 
You, I mean, the wealth of information on that. We're not even talking about BLM. God forbid should they designate them. Antifa, they can't even do. Because we are weaker than the left, even in red states. That is the reality. Again, you look at what Democrats fight for. Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, he ordered the flags put at half-mast in honor of Rush Limbaugh. And local Democrat officials in different areas were saying, we're not doing this. I, I just love their fighting spirit. They're not even ceding anything that's not a consequential policy. It's just symbolic. They won't engage in symbolism that they don't believe in. That's how adamant they are. Hey, we're not doing this. Screw you. Look, you got to appreciate their fighting spirit. They play to win. They play for keeps. And for that, I admire them. They have no shame looking at us with a straight face and saying, you guys are a bunch of terrorists, even though it's their people every day engaging in terrorism. Doesn't matter. They will look you in the eyes and say it's not safe to have school. While now, I'm sure some of you have seen the reports from the Washington Post, they now have a migrant facility right now because we're getting flooded, 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 flooded with young punks that are coming rent-a-kid that turn into MS-13 on our soil. We pay for the rope to hang ourselves. They join the gangs. We have facilities at the border now. This is almost at crisis levels. No one's talking about it. And children have in-person learning in these facilities. And I guarantee you, if they're caught not wearing a mask, they won't get expelled. Because we have a two-tier justice system. One for the people and the causes that the left believes in, and one for everyone else. You get remdesivir, a ventilator, and a mask, and I get the stuff that works. You see how this game is played. They're sadistic vermin, these people. And they're not people. This is what it is. Sweden has no excess deaths in 2020 under the age of 75. Think about that. I'd love to know what they're using for treatment there. And by the way, I want to circle back here to another theme I began with. And I'm going to have to cut it a little bit short here just because there's just so much on the agenda. But I did want to give you guys this update. So one of the things that I noted is how the left always casts a wide net on constitutional liberties in order to address a supposed problem, and then they don't even address the problem. So it's like we have 9-11. We did everything in response to 9-11 except for what actually caused it. And same thing with COVID. We have literally upended our society except for the small sliver of what is a problem with the virus, we don't address. So one of the manifestations of this, this indiscriminate wide net of testing everyone, PCR testing this, you're locked down, you're quarantined when you have no symptoms of anything, 
instead of focusing on the sick people and the vulnerable. That was always the thing from day one. Well, now it's standard. So you know what's funny? Most of the lies, truth be told, even in the prestigious medical journals and the government agencies, they have the research. All the stuff that masks don't work is there. All the stuff that, um, you know, NIH came out with a new study saying there is long-term natural immunity. But the damage of their PR political shops, disjointed from their academic research, has already been done. So it doesn't matter. No one's paying attention to that. So they keep continuing to govern by the same false scientific premises. This is in The Lancet, which is pretty much the top medical journal on, on, you know, that's been publishing COVID stuff. For public health measures, another approach is needed. Testing to help slow the spread of SARS-CoV-2 asks not whether someone has RNA in their nose from earlier infection, but whatever they are infectious today. It is a net loss to the health, social, and economic well-being of communities if post-infectious individuals test positive and isolate for 10 days. In our view, current PCR testing is therefore not the appropriate gold standard for evaluating a SARS-CoV-2 public health test. Most people infected with SARS-CoV-2 are contagious for 48 days. Seven specimen, um, sorry, specimens are generally not found to contain culture-positive virus beyond day nine after the onset of symptoms, with most transmission occurring before days five. Before day five. This timing fits with the observed patterns of virus transmission which led public health agencies to recommend the 10-day isolation period. The short window of transmissibility contrasts with a median 22, 23 to 33 days of PCR positivity. So it could be up to a month. This suggests that 50 to 70%, sorry, 50 to 75% of the time an individual is PCR positive, they are likely to be post-infectious. So you have people that have trouble breathing, the small, relatively small subset of people who get covid and we are denying them the treatment that works. But we're focusing on the young and healthy, or really anyone, that has no symptoms like, I'm positive, locked down, and anyone around them is locked down. And no matter how many studies come out on natural inf infection conveying long-term immunity, on asymptomatic not being vectors of spread, on children not being vectors of spread, on PCR testing being garbage, on mass not working. We keep doubling down on what doesn't work instead of pursuing what does. And this is done by design. Because it's all about control. Doing the opposite would empower people. Inform, empower. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been taking a lot of vitamin D and zinc. I'm indoors a lot. Always doing my stuff and talk shows and media and research and writing. I don't get it, get out enough, especially during the week. Living increasingly an unhealthy lifestyle just with, with the type of work I'm doing. You know, and I'm, and I'm young and healthy. How many seniors have low vitamin D levels, low zinc levels, and are not bulking up on that? A cost-free. Could you imagine if every vulnerable person, we had them proactively 
taking those five, six, seven things that work. We have reams of studies, depending on which thing we're talking about, 60 to 95% cutback in hospitalization. They are engaging in genocide just to lock us down. Truly sickening. Again, folks, as always, you can catch the show on iTunes. Subscribe to see our podcast. Give us a five-star review. Send it to 50 of your friends, relatives, coworkers, neighbors. Subscribe to Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary on Rumble. Daniel underscore Horowitz at Gab. Arm Conservative on Twitter. And keep signing up. ConAction.network. I especially want you guys in those small red states to form strike teams. We're, we're getting it together. I, I, I wish I could have done this quicker, but you know it takes time to do this properly. But I think you get a flavor from today's show of the opportunities and ideas that are out there that I think we could push. I'm going to do everything I can as one person, but I need a force multiplier, and that is you, the Patriot. So as always, thank you, Patriots, for listening. God bless you all, and help me spread the truth.